you know, all of Jesus' disciples were absolute messes and and yet somehow we've un-Jesus Jesus, haven't we? And so we're trying to follow this Jesus that we don't even, is unrecognisable from who he lived as. Welcome to season three of the Surrender podcast. I'm Craig Petty. And I'm Charlene Bella Santos. Together, we're the directors of Surrender, a collective of people and organisations carrying a message to motivate, support and equip us to live out the radical call of Jesus amongst the margins. In this podcast, we're providing a platform for conversation and storytelling, as we hear from some friends who embody this message. While we might not always agree with everything we hear from one another, what we desperately want to do is create a space to listen and to learn and to find Jesus in the centre of it all. Let's continue into part two of this energising conversation with Ash and Ange Barker. Now, Ange, I've seen a bit about your new book on social media. Missionary is not just a position. Tell us about your book. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, can't take it back now. It's out there. (laughs) Yes, well, I'll tell you a funny story. I was being interviewed by a very conservative Christian radio station live on air in the UK, and about a minute into it, I realised that the presenter had no idea it was meant to be a double entendre. (laughs) And it was so awkward because I was like, do you lead them down that path? Do you... Like, so I just had to keep saying things like, you know, it's really important as Christians, because she kept saying, now tell us about the position you have in mission and, and all that. <laughs> so it was a big laugh. But anyway, I'm trying to make sure the audience knew I didn't think it was, you know, too serious. But no, I mean, I think it's probably some of my penance. People always said, you know, you should sit and I should write a book. And you always, you know, especially since we, we live in, you know, there's nine or 10 of us here in the house and we often find ourselves telling stories over the years and thinking, gosh, did that really happen? And, you know, um, but I really felt the need to write my story, not other people's stories. So, and I was long, I remember being in Australia um, just after the tsunami and we were at a very large church, which will stay nameless. And a man got up and told this story about how, all the Christians in in that band of Arche wanted to have Christmas Eve or Christmas Day service and the Muslim leaders said they couldn't, so they went up in the hills and, you know, of course, then the tsunami came and killed all the other people. And I remember thinking, this is just bullshit. Like, I bet, you know, and then you start to ask where, whose cousin told who. It's a bit like we used to have a story when we were, yeah. you know, younger. Somebody had a pimple on their face and they squeezed it and all these spiders came out and it's someone's <laughs> So these urban myths, and then I realised that there's just so many Christian urban myths out there. And so what happens is when you hear these amazing stories and then you want to be a missionary and you want to be part of that, Mm. the reality of life on the ground is so far from that. And it just sets up lots of people to fail and feel like they were failures. So I really wanted to have a warts and all. This is what went wrong. These were all the mistakes. It wasn't glamorous. This is what it was like. And have a bit of a laugh at ourselves a little bit. But at the same time, um, my passion is to have a book that will be read by people who are out of church, who are not in church. And um, obviously we did Cooking with Pooh in Thailand and that mm. book, we sold about 60,000 copies. Mm. We never spent a, a cent on advertising and and that was because the title was picked up and it was funny. So I thought, well, let that work. Let's try the same things. We'll have a bit of a laugh with the title. But I hope it really is uh, for me some of my penance and, and being honest about the things I regret. Um, and, and also just hopefully we'll inspire other people that their stories are, are the success stories, not, not these Christian urban myths that you hear about that when you dig deep turn out to be very exaggerated and not true. And that changing mm. the world is all about the warts and all bit and the mess, not about 
um, the, what we talk about is miracle A's where, you know, you have all these successes. And, you know, Jesus was the most successful discipleship model, wasn't he? Jesus was the ultimate discipler. Mm -hmm. And if you look at what happened to each of his disciples, how we've got from that, which we would see as absolute failure under KPIs in most churches and church growth and discipleship strategies, somehow these kind of business principles have come into the church in the 80s and have been adapted as kind of spiritual principles. And, you know, all of Jesus' disciples were absolute messes and and yet somehow we've un-Jesus Jesus, haven't we? And so we're trying to follow this Jesus that we don't even, is unrecognisable from who he lived as. So I think it's about, yeah, trying to lean into that warts and all and see discipleship as the messy stuff and success as, you know, the failure. We talk about in our community, we use an asset-based approach, but we talk about the assets of brokenness and it's our assets of brokenness in the community. So our housing worker is um sorry ash has got someone come to see him our house is someone who's been homeless and our drugs worker is somebody who's not long off drugs because their asset is their lived experience and god can use that and realizing that you know i used to be so about people had to give everything up and be all together before they could help and actually none of us are together that's just a lie isn't it and that actually we can god can use someone in the throes of their addiction to love other people and it's not conditional of only if you do X, Y, Z. So I, I hope the book kind of shares some of those stories. So I guess like you've been sharing all these different experiences. Uh, if a, you know, a listener on our podcast who's an 18-year-old gung-ho, want to follow Jesus uh, to the margins, to the poor, what are some things that you would, you know, help them think through first um, before they dive right into everything? Yeah, I mean, I would say dive in and don't let the people <laughs> talk you out of it. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's some wisdom in that actually. The the people who will stop you doing it often are the most sensible people, but um, they're not often the folks who've got to live the adventurous life. And and so, yeah, so don't, don't be afraid to, to step out. And even if you get it wrong, this is the good thing about grace, isn't it? That God can even redeem our, our worst mistake. And so particularly if they're done sincerely and uh, and and not held uh, too tightly by our egos, it's amazing what can happen. I mean, the three questions I always like to ask people, and we we do Monsieur Day around this: Where have you been in terms of what are the gifts and talents and skills and your, where your passions really are? Um, where do you want to go in terms of how do you, you know, focus those? And then the third question is, is probably the most important: Who do you go with? And this is discipleship. There's no word disciple in Mark's gospel. It's always disciples. It's always plural. And finding a community, finding people to do it with, even if it's one or two other people you're on the journey with, it's amazing how far you can go. Nearly all our, you know, teams and all our work, it's only been one or two, you know, two or three people kind of then connecting with local people. And suddenly you've got amazing, amazing. things happening. And uh, so, yeah, so I, I would say don't do it by yourself try and find some comrades in the cause and see how far you can go. Um, organizations do have the value. Um, and, uh, but I think, yeah, it's the people first before the wine skin really. And then um, uh, now we're kind of serial founders. We've founded, I don't know how many churches and organizations, <laughs> over here, but, uh, but uh, so I do, you know, I generally try to have joined someone else's thing and help them do it. And then, uh, it never works out, so we end up having to plan things ourselves. 
Um, but, uh, but, but don't be afraid of that either. I think there are folks out there who, who do have the capacity to start things. And to, the good thing about starting something yourself is that you really can shape it the way you, you think it should be. And, um, and then yeah, find the right people to back you. I mean, the, the, the ideal is you get to live out the passion, meeting a need, and you can be resourced to do it. If those three things kind of can be lined up somehow, um, it's, a, it's amazing how far you can go, that sense of call and vocation and come what may, you kind of stick at it. I think I would want to say too, that um, to, to, to commit to something for a season, don't just do a kind of a, you know, t you know taste and see. Um, uh, our experiences is is that once you have a sense of call to a place, dig dig in deep, and then when God wants you out, He'll you know He'll force you out. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but, we, but but the, but the, yeah. the biggest issue of people kind of coming and going all the time and not being able to decide and looking for greener pastures all the time, honestly, it it it, it sticks somewhere, and you'll be amazed uh, over time, over five, ten, twenty years what what's possible i think we do overestimate what we can see happen in a year and underestimate what's possible in a decade mm -hmm. and uh that's certainly true for for our work here in winston green we've been here seven years now and and being able to see the kind of things we thought would happen quickly are, are, are really starting to happen now in much bigger ways than we originally thought i also we i don't know who we stole this off but early on someone gave us this kind of little image of the ideal, the ordeal, and then the new deal. And so the ideal is, you know, even coming to Winston Green, we have this ideal of what it would look like. And then the reality is never the same as what your best vision is as a group of people. We're going to do this. We're going to create community. We're going to, and then you hit this ordeal. And what happens for most Christians, because we don't like conflict, and somehow we've again equated conflict as evil and not Christian. And actually, if you think and look at Jesus' life, it was full of conflict, even amongst you. And that leaning into that conflict and in that ordeal. And that's actually when God's spirit's at work, I think, in that. As horrible as it sounds and as much as we want to run away at that time, I think many Christians then feel called out of that ministry. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, we say God doesn't call you out of things. He calls you to things. So unless there's something you're clearly called to, you need to hang in and, and embrace the pain. And then if you can hang in in that period, you come out with a new deal. And then you think it's all good and sorted. <laughs> and, of course, the whole cycle starts again and again and again. <laughs> I think that's helped us because when things turn to shit, we're sort of like, actually, no, this is what was promised and this is good. We've got the right people. It's going to be difficult and that we've been shaped and formed. Um, and, yeah, just being able to hang in there. And I think any community work, you have to learn all the lessons, you know, you have to learn all those lessons in the first five years and then it's then the next five years that you get to see some things succeed. And then it's mm. the five years after that that you actually realise how wrong you were for all of those ten years. <laughs> and but but just holding that loosely, that is, is that constant journey. And, and I say you can never be an expert on loving the poor and doing life in poor and broken communities because every person you meet will shape you and change you differently. And so we are, I say in my book that most of the last 30 years has been one out of depth experience out of another, where we know that Jesus shows up when the shit hits the fan because we don't know what to do at this moment. Mm. And, uh, and I think if you hold that learning posture, then you can sustain it. Again, rejecting those kind of KPIs and that kind of success models 
because that's what burns you out is that you know I'm you know we've been planting churches for years and both of us run a congregation that usually has 20 people in it now that doesn't look anything like what church planting exists but we actually know the 20 people we have you know I have an adults only church read between the lines mm -hmm. kids not kids safe <laughs> and Ash the child and families one but most parents are you know not in states to really be looking out you know so but to us that success these are the people that god's called us to love and this is our family and our church and the fact they come at all is amazing so mm. it's about adjusting those expectations um but success looks really different it really looks like failure to everyone else probably yeah so do you find you're quick to get those expectations to be, I don't even want to say realistic, but to be godly expectations in the place that you're called? Or is that part of that big journey that you're talking about? Yeah, no, you always have massively unrealistic expectations. <laughs> I, I, you start I there. Yeah, I don't think yeah. it's a bad place to start. You've got to start with some yeah. energy. To have a bit of, but have a bit of, we can oh. see some change here. It's much better than thinking nothing's possible yeah, and yeah. you and you just kind of sponge off everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and Ash, Ash has been trying for years to get, you know, the big issue in our community, as many poor communities, is housing. And he's just got the spiritual gift of stubbornness. So he spends hours meeting with these groups and have all this money to do housing. And then he finds a Church of England property that they can buy to build housing, and they're going to build them a free church building as well. And then the church just can't close a the deal. They just mess it up you know yeah. but then you'll just go and find another group so we're now on our third we're going to get this done won't both it'll, of like <laughs> it'll kill me but it'll happen whereas I, I get to a limit i huff and puff a bit more explosively and just go, stuff and we're just going to do it ourselves and we'll just get on so you need to have a couple of approaches in your team don't you so the macro and the micro and and so i think having a group of people your expectations are you know you hold hope for each other when uh, when Sometimes his hope's dashed. I can hold hope because suddenly we've, you know, our drop-in centre's now quadrupled in the people that come and some of the people that have never had a job before we've been able to employ. And, you know, and then that's all, you know, imploding. And then Ash has had a win because he's taken over a retreat centre. And, you know, so you, you've got to have loads. I always say you've got to have about five things on the go so that at any one time, probably three of them are going quite badly, but you can celebrate and get your energy from the two that are working all right. And, yeah. and again about how you shape your expectations mm. yeah coming back to surrender as you look at all of those surrenders that you've been involved with what are some of the what are some of the highlights through that framework of success i, I mean my highlight was always a saturday night with indigenous voices being able to yeah, we never knew what was going to come like as an organizing group it was always a bit oh, hold your breath what's happening um and uh and I, just, I, I honestly, um, I mean, Ray Minikin was our first first person that got up, and then it got more kind of elaborate, I think, as it as it kind of went on. And there, there were certainly moments where I thought, for some folks here, this is the first time they've ever heard an Indigenous person speak to them mm -hmm. um, and say what they need to say. Now, some of the voices were pretty shrill at times, I've got to say, and. Uh, and we, because we we weren't editing these voices. These voices need to come as they come, mm -hmm. and uh, and they were. It was really important to hear the anger and the disappointment as and the lament as it was for. It's great to be here, kind of voices. So, um, and, and as people became more confident, they became more honest actually too, which which was a fourteen-year-old kid being kind of uh, you know <laughs> first indigenous voice he hears is how how awful white people have been. But they're they're in, it's, where else are they where were they going to hear that? 
um, and uh, in a safe place where they can process that and come to terms with it, it was so. I, I for me, I think those indigenous voices were all was a highlight for me. And we well, we had great people, you know, great people come and speak. You know, well, Elias Shakur, the the Bishop of Galilee, that was kind of a good one. If you're going to have a title, the Bishop of Galilee is a pretty good one. Um, <laughs> it's out there. <laughs> he, he was. I loved, loved, loved him. But yeah. Um, I think there were, there was other moments. I think seeing young people come forward and commit their their, their lives to God in in a fresh way. I think some of those moments were really precious as well. Um, but yeah, honestly, it was often a bit of a daze for me. I don't know how you guys feel it, but you kind of set these things up, and they ha they have a life of their own, and you try to hang on by the you know the sea of. <laughs> So, I, I, so a, a lot of there's a lot of blurriness of uh, my <laughs> fair enough. What about you, Anne? Um, yeah, I mean, I obviously wasn't as involved, being that I spent more time in in Thailand than here, but than Australia. Um, yeah, I mean, I think what I loved is the local community, so the Springvale folk from the local Rainbow Church, being part of it and welcoming people or not welcoming people, as it was sometimes. <laughs> And so I, I think that's something that we then took and really embraced in Thailand when Ash started running a conference in Thailand, is that the need for people who've always found themselves on the margins to be brought to the centre, to be part mm -hmm. of something central. And I was chatting to one of our folks in Thailand the other day, and she said, what we miss is Ash having all the visitors who, who could see what we were doing. And I mm -hmm. realised that to be seen and known and heard and so the beauty that surrender did in those days for the guys like Masamai and that with their free Burma cafe is it brought people who were profoundly at the margins to the center of something big and they were important and they were the stars of the show of all these people that they could only not even normally would meet in their day-to-day -day life so I think that was always a highlight for me um, yeah, and obviously some of the inspirational speakers. And I think starting to gather a clan of people beyond, you know, that were similar. Because, you know, you feel like sometimes you're out there on a limb as a real heretic and quite weird. And then to realise that there are other people across the country also committed to the same values and doing really amazing things that we can learn from. And I think that's been a bit of a lesson that we see here in Birmingham is finding our... our um, sister and brother organizations and you know we always say there's a group in east london that we say we want to be like you when we grow up <laughs> you know and everything they do i try to emulate and so just that linking across of people who feel alone and are, um yeah ready to walk away i think the challenge and this is the stuff i'm hearing doing a few quite a few podcasts with australia for around the book is that you know in england they would say what the biggest and the biggest religion in england is people who are post-church or no religion anymore mm -hmm. and i think that seems to be a big thing in australia although we were much more secular to start with but there's so many people that have left the church and are walking away and sometimes groups like surrender become their last foot out the door but the challenge is how do you galvanize people who come to a gathered event into then embedded community that sustains their mission mm. and and holds them in that place and some people they're, they're looking for an out and there's nothing you can do but i think certainly re-jesusing jesus and re helping people remember this is the radical guy mm. we've been following and actually sorry about the church god apologizes too what did martin luther say she might be a whore but she's still your mother and that's very <laughs> what we embrace that you know yes we've come from that and we are who we are because of that but actually god's sometimes embarrassed by the church as well and my kids you say well church is boring and i'd go yeah yeah church is boring but god's not so don't blame him you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
how do you gather the people that are falling out, you know, and, 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 and yeah, so I feel like that's a challenge for future surrenders potentially is that you may find yourself as gathering more of those people who are already looking for their exit door. Mm. Yeah, so. Yeah, for sure. And I think we're seeing that I sat for dinner with, with a bunch of young adults who were burnt out from just running church on a Sunday, but doing amazing things throughout the week. You know, there's a bunch meeting, who, you know, doing contemplative practices instead. Like, like, you know, what does that church look like now for the next yeah, generation? So, yeah. The challenge that we saw from kind of our generation is the people that did those kind of alternative churches. If you think the one thing about the conservative church that is 100 years later, 200 years later, there are still congregations. There's still something that if you're, you know, you walk in, you're homeless in Birmingham, you can find a church and walk in and you know that there should be someone there to help you. So the, the sustainability and the longevity of those alternate kind of worship practices, mm-hmm. I think that's a challenge. That's what we feel like our next 10 years, 20 years we hope to be is how do we say, yes, there's got to be other models, but mm-hmm. how are they models that in 100 years time will still be there? And mm. rather than it became a huff and a puff and all the resources of the old conservative congregation were sold and spent on this new, you know, what did they call them? Different types of churches. Fresh expressions, Fresh expressions or whatever. And that, but five years later, they're all gone and it's fizzled to nothing. So I think that is the challenge. And that's where I think some of us older folk maybe could offer some scaffolding kind of structure but we need to learn from, you know, kids who are 14 and 15, the jobs they'll be doing don't even exist yet. Mm. So we can't even begin to understand this world. Mm. So our policy, like up to Future Proof, our charity and ministry is each of us have somebody under under 20 that we have to take along with everything we do so that the goal for the charity I run, within the next 10 years, all of the key roles will be people under 30. So, and I think for Surrender, it looks like you're kind of looking at that mm. kind of stuff as well. But how do we do that for church leadership mm. and you know, it's mm. still very pale male and frail isn't it across the world um and then there's groups that break off and try these amazing things but how do we sustain that how do we get the mm. scaffolding around that so that it's still there and, and it allows for growth for future young people so one, one slight thing i mean it's just a hobby horse of mine really is that local leadership development is the ball game if you can't develop leaders from within the community. Um, and by that we mean neighbourhood where the church is. Yeah, yeah, you're you're in trouble. And the whole idea that you could have lots of paid people running churches, um, uh, those days are going and uh, for the majority of neighbourhoods. So, so I think, uh, you know, if you're gonna invest time and energy and money, it's investing in those local indigenous leaders to a neighbourhood and helping them help their dreams come true how do we release their skills assets talents and ways it's great for the kids some of that might be helping run church services but the neighborhood will be changed by by those moments by by that emphasis and so yeah i i hope every church could could have a think about that and and invest their best time energy resources in that Mm. sure that's so good. Um, so just to finish off this time together, we've been uh, asking uh, the fast five questions to different different people we've been interviewing. Um, so just whatever comes to mind uh, first up. So uh, fill in the blank. Surrendering to Jesus means? Going on a wild ride. Adventure. Nice. Uh, what's your favourite meal? McDonald's. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Don't bring that to us or in the conference. 
know. I know. I'm, I'm so not politically correct. I apologise for that. But no, I'm bogan and unapologetically. <laughs> <laughs> roast lamb and baked potatoes yeah, not a vegan lamb. either <laughs> no, no vegan our household are trying to vegetarianize and veganize and green us up successful so far. he sneaked no, out <laughs> 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 nice. um, and what is a film you really love oh wow a film you really love oh the castle it has to be the castle <laughs> <laughs> I, the, the green mile the green uh, nice mm. and what brings you great joy Gin. Oh, did I say that out loud? <laughs> <laughs> what brings us great joy? For me, it's just seeing my neighbours thrive and, you know, do new things and grow in confidence. That's my biggest joy. Yeah, I, mean, I love seeing our emerging leaders pitch their ideas for change and see them happen. And that's kind of one of the things that yeah, I look forward to in a few weeks' time. That's beautiful. Mm. And what's one lesson you wish you had learnt earlier in life? Don't take yourself so seriously. Yeah, I was going to say that one too, but yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. honestly, our lives well, can, can you have be, to be able uh, to laugh at yourself. Yeah, yeah. Our, our, our lives will be okay. We don't have to stress too much about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> You're not in control. Mm. We think we're in control, and particularly in the '90s and early 2000s, ministry and discipleship was all about control. And actually, we have we are not in control. And the more we try to be, the more we mess it up. Mm. Yeah. That's great. Well, it's been such a pleasure to hang out with you both, Ash and Angie. Um, thanks so much for your time. And I know you two are very busy and doing heaps of things. So I really appreciate you sharing all the amazing stories and wisdom um, from over so many years um, in mission. Over to you. What have you heard? What have you noticed? What have you surrendered? How will you take action? Surrender partners with dozens of organisations and initiatives. Find them and take action at surrender.org.au.